On episode 220 of The Goblin Trash Masters, we talk briefly about the gap, or how reading the card explains the card. The gap between what the card says and how you interpret the actions that need to be taken. Don't check the timestamp. We even briefly talk about strategies on how to manage and use confusion and frustration to keep you moving forward. Don't check the timestamp. Seriously, don't. Let's hurry up and talk some trash. What's up, nerds? It's school time. We get to read stuff and maybe comprehend it. Maybe. Hopefully comprehend Okay, okay. Speaking of reading, what's the last thing that anyone here has actually, like, just, like, read for fun? Just, like, a book or something. Oh, my the God. The Hobbit. The Hobbit? Yeah. Like, a reread of The Hobbit? Yeah, because I love that book. And it's also, I wanted one. to get the movies out of my brain because they put a lot of shit that was not in the book in those movies, and <laughs> it hurt. It hurt me because I'm like, wait, Azog the Defiler was not in The Hobbit, right? I'm not imagining that. And people were like, no, honey. I'm like, good, good, good. All right, Grandpa, let's take you back to the home. Okay. What about you, Ashley? The last one that I can remember reading this year was, oh, God, it's that autobiography. I'm glad my mom died, I think. Is oh, Jeanette, oh, yeah. Jenna McCurdy. Krista read that yeah. and she, she, she thought it was great. A lot it of was, fucked up shit in that book, it, but it was great. <laughs> it was so excellent, but oh my God, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nickelodeon in the late 90s and early 2000s was Look, gross. Sc- scary place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in it the middle. Oh, yeah. It, it, I liked it. I'm in the mm-hmm. middle of With All Its Teeth, Sex, Violence, Profanity, and the Death of Christian Art by Joshua Porter. That is wow. the most Anthony book-like recommendation or statement I have ever heard with my own two earballs. What the fuck was that? Earballs? Earballs. <laughs> no, it's it's a nice piece of nonfiction. It's a, a multimedial artist that talks, that is just basically a collection of essays on the concept of how art and Christianity intersect. That actually does sound really interesting. <laughs> yeah, chapter one, or the first essay, is all about the immersion. Have you all heard of this piece? Sounds familiar. It is colloquially known as Piss Christ. Yes. Oh, I know that. Yeah. It's where oh, the artist look takes it. Now. Yeah. It's it where pisses the artist on a crucifix. A crucifix puts it in a jar of urine, of his own urine, and takes a photo of it. Naturally, like some people were pretty upset about that. And then the artist was like, but wait, I'm Christian. And then like some nuns were just like, no, this is very moving. Okay. Do you know who the artist was? Because I'm not coming up with it. You it's just like look up talking... artist for pissed Christ and you just get on a list somewhere and get blocked <laughs> from the internet for a month. An- Andre Serrano, which oh, means spicy. Shush. <laughs> we that same cooking. artist also did a self-portrait and it's just a photo. It's an action photo of him ejaculating. It's just his his stream and it's a, it, he titled it just self-portrait and it is the best piece of art. That is fucking hilarious. Also, while we're still in the art world, one of my favorite stories, I don't know when this happened, but an artist got commissioned for a gallery show and was working on these, in quotations, paintings for months. And then when the shipment came, the gallery opened them and they were all blank canvases. And the title of his show was Take the Money and Run. It's kind of fabulous. I love that. I know. It's great. Fuck the art world. (laughs) It's so stupid. Fine art is dumb. 
love right? talking about art when the topic of conversation isn't Banksy. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. Oh, look, it's silhouettes painted on a wall. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. So, as you all have probably guessed, based on our talk of urine, Christianity, semen, we're going to talk about the gap. Or the gap between reading the card and understanding what the fucking card does. Mm-hmm. Because the gap is a fucking problem, y'all. It is. Yes, very, much so. very much so. The ga- there is, it's like, wow, you're not an idiot. Well, you might be an idiot. But you're not necessarily an idiot. I mean, I'm an idiot. And you still like me. Maybe? Right? Tell me I'm good. You're you're great, Kyle. I love you. Yay. I'm still <laughs> Anthony, an idiot. Anthony's still out and he's not speaking to either of us about this. He pleads the fifth. The gap <laughs> doesn't it. mean you're dumb, Anthony. It doesn't necessarily mean you're dumb. It also doesn't exclude stupidity. Okay. Well, Kyle and I are going to be the voices of reason on this one. Wait, are you saying... That failing to understand the text of a magic card is proof positive that you are not an idiot? I th- I think my hypothesis is that the gap is not related necessarily to the understanding part. It's congruent with what I just said. But Okay, wait, go back. <laughs> I said the gap does not necessarily mean that somebody's an idiot. Yeah. So yes. the presence or absence of a of 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 that fail the gap the failure of comprehension the reading the failure of reading comprehension on a magic card isn't proof that you're an idiot. I don't see. I don't think it. I don't think it's evidence you're not an idiot. I don't think it's evidence necessarily that you are an idiot. I think it's. I think it's pretty not orthogonal to traditional intelligence. I'll 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 say that I, I agree. But if it's the fifth time. You're reading the card Lightning Bolt. You might be an idiot. Okay. You might be an idiot. But <laughs> honestly, what we want to talk about is the gap exists. You yeah. can read the same card a dozen times. And there is a gap that exists, even with non-idiots, confirmed non-idiots, certificates that say they do not have donkey <laughs> brains. Yes. Hand. Do you have a certificate? Do you have such a certificate? But We you need to could... make these certificates now. Yeah, we will. Don't worry. <laughs> Actually, no, Ashley has Canva. She can make a really nice non-donkey brain certificate. I sure can. So I think that even if you are confirmed, known good, not a fool, you can still experience this gap on the first read, on the second read, on the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. It, it can still exist because we'll go into it, but I have some theories on where the gap lives personally. And yeah, I go a little wide with it. Heads up. Mm-hmm. Just as an introduction, I'm Anthony. Joined with me, as always, is Kyle and Yo. Ashley. We Hi. are three Magic players, and we're all at different points in our time with Magic. But we all have one thing in common, at least, and that is that we would kill Ariana Grande if we had the chance. Only in Minecraft, Anthony. Look, Ariana Grande killed Boromir when all he was trying to do was protect Merry and Pippin from the rest of who all those other. Oh, wait, no, that's that was that was an Urukai. Never mind. She finger fucked that tornado, though. What? And I'm sorry, but I don't think a tornado is capable of consent. So there are some issues. But I do like the way she said 
hot rags. We're bringing it back to Jeanette McCurdy. Oh my gosh. For anyone that hasn't seen Sam and Cat, congratulations, you have back pain. The hard-hitting magic facts you come to this podcast for. But I think, I like how Kyle described this, because all three of us kind of described the gap in our own ways. Mm-hmm. I like how Kyle described it as a good jumping-off point, because Kyle's description of it is, like, very grounded. It's, like, very realistic, and it doesn't go particularly wide. So mm-hmm. I think that's a that's the best place for us to start off, honestly. And then Anthony goes wide, and then I bring it back in. Kind of just par for the course for all of us, really. I mean, yeah. So, Kyle, why don't you start us off and describe a little bit about the gap to you and how reading the card explains the card. So we've heard this time and time again where it's just like reading the card explains the card. And no. And we'll, we'll talk about that in detail, obviously. But, you know, I like I like the the definition. You know, Mm -hmm. how we start a lot of these topics with the definition type thing. And like for this, we should just read some cards. Yep. Love it. Particularly cards that are very similar. You know, some examples, you know, are like the Blood Artist and Zulaport, Cutthroats of the World, you know, Skyclave and Fiend Hunter, Deep Cavern Bat and Tide Hollow Scholar. These are cards that get compared to each other in spoiler season or when we play them. And they're like, oh, it's this type of card. It's that type of card. And it's... It's like, yeah, sure, Deep Cavern Bat and Tide Hollow's Color, yes, are similar cards. And people say, yes, it's just like that. Not really. No, not exactly. Yeah. But if somebody said, what's the Tide Hollow Color effect in Correct. standard right now? I'd say Deep Cavern Bat. Like, we can acknowledge they're similar without them being identical. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's the thing that gets really lost in translation or, like, magic players, like, like to do shortcuts or just be like, oh, yeah, I, like, it's like this card. I don't have to read anything else. No, you still should read the card, read it a few more times, and then read it again. Because the first example we're going to talk about is Deep Cavern Bat and Tide Hollow Scholar. Because, yes, Anthony's correct in saying that Deep Cavern Bat is the Tide Hollow Scholar that's legal and sca- standard right now. They're very, very different cards when you read them. So mm-hmm. I'll start off with the one we all compare Deep Cavern Bat to is Tide Hollow Scholar. It is a black-white 2-2 artifact creature which is hilarious to me but its effect is when tide hollow scholar enters the battlefield target opponent reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card from it period next sentence is exile that card the next line of text is when tide hollow scholar leaves the battlefield comma return the exiled card to its owner's hand all right and then i'll read deep cavern bat one 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 in a black flying lifelink when deep cavern bat enters the battlefield comma look at target opponent's hand period. You may exile a non-land card from it until Deep Cavern Bat leaves the battlefield. The next line of text is, that's it. That's it. That's all the the rules text on both of those cards. So, the reason I read those two cards that are very similar in that way where I said where the comma was and said where the period was in these sentences is the reason these cards are different. So, you look at Tide Hollow Sculler it says, when it enters the battlefield, comma, target opponent reveals their hand, and you choose a non-land card from it and exile it. That's where the sentence ends. And Deep Cavern Bat is when Deep Cavern Bat enters the battlefield, comma, look at a target opponent's hand. Exile a card until it leaves the battlefield. Now, what's the difference between those two lines of text? I know, but I want Ashley to tell me. It says reveal versus look. Absolutely is a difference between the two. It it's is like, true. It's like, because one, revealing your hand, means that every player will see it 
and looking at means only you get to see it. But there's a big, big, big difference. difference in how the I'll let you know now it's related to how the cards come back to somebody's hand. It is goes to exile with Tide Hollow Sculler rather than exiled under Deep Cavern Bat. Nope, it's or the same. Yep. What? They this... both they both go into exile. Okay. Yeah, they both go into exile. So How's the easy results? the easy answer is that Tide Hollow Tide Hollow Sculler has two abilities and Deep Cavern Bat has one. I think this is a good example of like this creature enters the battlefield. Can you describe to me Tide Hollow Sculler? We see the text for that card. It mm -hmm. enters the battlefield. What happened? When it enters, target opponent reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card. So I read mm -hmm. the part. They happen at the same time. When it enters, you 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 didn't you didn't finish the line of text. So why don't you try that again? When it when Tide Hollow Sculler enters the battlefield, what happened? Target opponent reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card. Exile the card. Great. Now the first. That's that is what happens when Tide Hollow Sculler enters the battlefield. Right. Now Deep Cavern Bat enters the battlefield. What happened? Look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it until Deep Cavern Bat leaves the battlefield. Outstanding. Okay. What's the difference between those two enter the battlefield abilities? What does Deep Cavern's Bat enter the battlefield ability have that Tide Hollow Sculler's enter the battlefield ability doesn't? It's the separation of the text from how it leaves the battlefield. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Is yep, that what you're we're talking it. about here? Yeah. 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 Right. But like, what's the difference between Tide Hollow Sculler's enter the battlefield? Just it's one enter the battlefield ability that you just read mm -hmm. and Deep Cavern Bats. Deep Cavern Bats handles one extra thing that Tide Hollow Sculler's enter the battlefield ability doesn't handle. I'm genuinely not sure what you all are talking about here. We're going to look at the Tide Hollow Sculler enter the battlefield ability and the Deep Cavern Bat enter the battlefield ability next mm -hmm. to each other, right? The Deep Cavern Bat has an enter. They both, we read them both. What mm -hmm. words are different? There are more words in the Deep Cavern Bat enters the battlefield ability than the Tide Hollow Sculler enters the battlefield ability. Reading again, when Tide Hollow, when Tide Hollow Sculler enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card from it and exile it. And Deep Cavern Bat enters the battlefield. You look at uh, target opponent's hand. You exile a card until Deep Cavern Bat leaves the battlefield. What's right. the extra stuff on Deep Cavern Bat that's not in Tide Hollow Sculler? The until Deep Cavern Bat leaves the battlefield. Bingo. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So Tide Hollow Scullers enter the battlefield. Does it have anything to do with your opponent getting your card their back? No. Not even a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Which means that Tide Hollow Sculler has how many abilities? It has an enter the battlefield ability and a leaves the battlefield. battlefield. Yep. So it set, it'll set up two separate triggers, two separate lines of text, right? Okay. Yeah, so that's... what happens if Tide Hollow Sculler enters the battlefield and its ability goes on the stack and then Tide Hollow Sculler gets killed in response? What happens? It has entered, gets killed. With the ETB on the stack. Yeah. With ETB on the stack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're actually resolving it the second ability first and the first ability second. Because it's been... So what ha yeah, it would what leave happened... the battlefield first mm -hmm. if you're resolving it backwards, right? Yeah, because the the first ability hasn't resolved yet. Mm -hmm. So the second ability resolves what happens. Tidehole's Scholar leaves the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Return the exiled card to its owner's hand. What card has been card. exiled by Tidehole Scholar so far? Mm -hmm. Nothing. So they won't get, no cards get added to your opponent's hand. And then what happens? We've still got the enter the battlefield ability on the stack. 
So what happens when enter the battlefield ability resolves? Do you still get to reveal, or do, excuse me, do you, the target opponent, still reveal their hand and you choose an online card to exile it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That enter the battlefield okay. ability doesn't care that the permanent that caused it isn't there anymore. So you exile that card. Okay. So the card is now exiled. How does mm -hmm. your opponent get that card back? They fucking don't. They don't. See, yeah. Now imagine that same thing, but we're going to replace Tide Hollow Sculler with Deep Cavern Bat. I cast the Deep Cavern Bat and target Ashley. Right. And Ashley kills it in response. What happens? ETB on the stack. You go for the throat. You kill it. Go for the throat. You get to look at target opponent's hand, but you don't get to exile it, right? Yep, exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly right. You get to, you still get to look at their hand, mm -hmm. but you only get to exile that until Deep Cavern Bat leaves. You see how even though these two cards are very similar, they have a pretty big difference in how they are played, right? Yeah. All right. Now that I'm gonna does use... not feel intuitive at all. Yeah, I think that it is intuitive if you look at it as formal logic or math more than if you look at it as how a person would talk right yes but even so the re resolving of things backwards is still a strange way to think especially when we read from top to bottom well it sh it has two abilities right and they both are they say when so they are triggered abilities mm -hmm. and they trigger when their conditions are met you choose if somebody chooses to make it so that my Tide Hollow Sculler leaves the battlefield before it's enter the battlefield ability resolved, that makes sense, right? It enters, there's a little ability that goes onto the stack that enters the battlefield ability, and that's floating there, and both mm -hmm. players have priority, and somebody else puts something on top of the stack. Right. If, if I cast a Tide Hollow Sculler, and it's mm -hmm. enter the battlefield ability goes on the stack, and you cast an op, let's say. Mm-hmm. Which do you expect to resolve first? Casting an opt after? Enter the battlefield ability, goes on the stack, you respond to it with an opt. With what I know it would be. That's right. Backwards, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the stack resolves last in, first. Mm -hmm. Which might be super helpful for people who have a programming background. But for those of us who don't, and for those of us like myself who worked in food service first, the way it makes sense to me is it's First in, kind first out. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of how you rotate stock, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Last in, first out is how is a good way to make sure that the food that's in the back of the freezer spoils before you get a chance to use it, right? Right. The most recent thing that's on the stack resolves first. So if we're playing a three-player game of Commander and I cast a spell and Kyle responds to my spell and you respond to Kyle's spell, I was the first in, so I'm going to be the last out. And... We call it a stack because we imagine a stack of abilities resolving. You take mm -hmm. the thing off the top, you look at it, and you say, this is the thing that I do, and then you do it, and it goes away. And then you say, what's up next? And the thing that I do, and then that goes away. And then the last thing you're looking at is the first thing that got put on the stack. Magic that's is weird. Yes, and that's a very big reason why I chose to talk about these two cards first. It's because a good of, example. Yeah, because of everything we just talked about. Yeah. Tide Hollow Sculler... When you just like, you know, the most generic thinking of magic. Oh, I look at an opponent's hand, I exile it under the sculler, and then when it leaves, they get it back. But it's worded so weird and it's in the rule set of magic, it turns into that why am I reading from, you know, the bottom up instead of, you know, the top down type thing. And it's it really comes down to like what when Anthony was talking about, there's two separate abilities with sculler and there's one with deep cavern bat, even though at the end of the day, they do the same thing where you look at an opponent's hand, you take a card, 
until that leaves. But it's how yep. we resolve a spell, you know, how the stack works in magic and how something's worded and how it works while being played in a game of magic that makes it just fucking stupid. Like, to be honest. Yeah, frankly, frankly, I, I think that this feels very, very clear. But I think a co that is likely because of a combination of A, just me having played magic for so long. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And B linguistically the two sentences are completely different right and i think the easy way to like you're like oh great now i know the difference between tide hollow sculler and deep cavern bat thanks a lot guys that'll be real <laughs> useful to me <laughs> yeah. i think i think i think the thing you can take away from this is tide hollow sculler has two abilities yeah two deep cavern bat has one, one ability and you can tell that they can resolve separately because they're two separate ability triggered abilities with two separate triggers that cause them to happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean portions of that at the beginning. I said they were separate sentences. <laughs> they they are they are set, and that's like the core of it is kind yeah. of doing that. And There's a lot like, more to it than that, but I almost but got no, there. Like I think intuitively you're able to recognize that there is a difference between those two things. And I am going to make Kyle uncomfortable with this bit right now. But oh, Ky God. what Kyle's what Kyle's exposing us to here is generally referred to as a dialectical model of learning. And the concept here is learning learning what something does by comparing it to something else. And that comparison between Deep Cavern Bat and Tide Hollow Sculler creates a there's a delta between those two cards and how they function, right? So what Kyle's generated there is a dialectic or like a contradiction, a difference, a delta between those two things, right? Mm -hmm. And we say these two things are different. Otherwise, they would use the exact same templating, right? Mm -hmm. So we know they're written differently. There has to be a reason they're written differently. These two things can't do the same thing. Otherwise, Tide Hollow Scholar will say until it leaves the battlefield. So what's the difference? And that's when you get to start looking at where that is. So I really like that it's not really a mystery that I feel like dialectical learning is one of the most effective ways to teach an adult something. I've talked about it before. I feel really strongly on this. And then, Kyle, with and then you get to apply this understanding to the next level of what you're what you're working on. So like Tide Hollow Sculler and Deep Cavern Bat, how do they interact with how do they interact with ephemerate? Right? So let me give you an example. I'm gonna simplify ephemerate. We're gonna say cloud shift. It's ephemerate without rebound. I don't want I want to cross <laughs> out rebound from it so that it doesn't confuse everybody. I I cast a tide hollow sculler. Mm -hmm. It enters the battlefield. What happens? ETB goes on the stack. ETB goes on the stack. I have priority again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cast Cloud Shift targeting Tide Hollow Sculler. What happens? Second ability goes on the stack. Yeah. The leaves, it, the leaves, battle, leaves the battlefield goes on the stack. So when Cloud Shift resolves, Tide Hollow Sculler leaves and comes back, right? Mm -hmm. All one thing. Yep. Nothing goes on the stack. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Now, two things get put on the stack. What are they? Okay. Now it's the, the leave and enter, correct? Yeah, you control both, so you get to mm -hmm. choose what order they go which, in. Which, yeah, which how you order order them. Uh huh. So, what are how are you, Kyle? How are you ordering these? You've got one enters the battlefield ability on the stack. You've got a leaves the battlefield and a enter the battlefield. How are you put? How are you stacking those? 
Um, you got enter the battlefield down here at the bottom. I'd order it so I'd put the uh, enter the battlefield on the sack first and then the leaves the battlefield so the leaves the battlefield would resolve first. So now we've got a leaves the battlefield, an enter the battlefield, and an enter the battlefield trigger on the stack. Leaves the battlefield resolves first, and like Ashley mentioned, they get the card exiled by Tide Hollow Sculler put into their hand, which is, in this case, nada. Nothing. Then an enter the battlefield ability resolves, and what do we get to do? Look at their hand and exile a card. Target opponent and then hand and choose a non-land card. Exile. And then what happens? The second one. Or the first one resolves. Or So you look at their hand, you reveal their hand again and take a non-land card from it. Mm -hmm. Now somebody ulcerates that Tide Hollow Sculler and kills it. Then it leaves the battlefield, trigger goes on the stack again. And Correct. what happens? Yep. All the stuff goes. Have, have the ETBs resolved yet or are they still in the stack? Yeah, they've all resolved. We took, we did it twice. Mm -hmm. We revealed their hand, took a card, revealed their hand, took a card. So they would get one of the cards back or both? I've played a lot of Tide the Colorless Color and I still get confused by this card. So with the Leave the Battlefield trigger being the first one that happens, these cards are in exile permanently, right? We we didn't exile anything once that went on the stack because we blinked it. No, she's she's right. Yeah. Something? Like, so I think actually, I something you are 100% correct. So okay. when we took two cards, when we resolved, we had Leaves the Battlefield, Enter the Battlefield, Enter the Battlefield, right? Mm -hmm. The Leaves the Battlefield is associated with the first card we took and enter the battlefield or the, the leaves the battlefield is associated with the the take at the bottom those are paired up and the enter is the enter the topmost enter the battlefield is going singular. to be exiled under a singular it's by itself right now so what happens is the first card we take goes under tide hollow scholar the second card we take goes away forever that's it yep okay okay so there is there is one card under Tide Hollow Sculler, and you cast Ulcerate, right? Yeah. Worth noting, though, um, in neither Deep Cavern Bat nor Tide Hollow Sculler's case, do either of them say anything about under the card? This is like a really good example of when I say um, people have shitty shortcuts that hurt their understanding of cards. This is what I mean. We just keep coming back to this. Put it under the card. Put it under the card. Put it under the card. What about this goes under the card and this doesn't? These are distinctions that don't exist because it literally never says them on the card. Okay. So then Ulcerate goes on the stack. Target creature gets negative three, negative three. You lose three life as the caster. And then it would sure. be the leave the battlefield trigger, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. so, so then you would get to, they could get their card back. The one card that was exiled. Yep. Now let's look at it this way. We do the same thing where I cast a Deep Cavern Bat, it has an Enter the Battlefield ability that goes on the stack, mm -hmm. and then I Cloud Shift it. First things first, the Cloud Shift resolves, the Bat leaves and comes back. Mm -hmm. We've got another Deep Cavern Bat, Enter the Battlefield ability on the stack with another one beneath it. First thing that resolves, what do we do? What happens? Mm -hmm. Then you take a non-land card from it. Uh-huh. And then the second one, the second ETB resolves. Mm -hmm. Do the same thing. Look, take a card. No. No, you don't. Oh. You look, you don't take a card. Because remember, oh, that trigger only lasts until they it leaves the battlefield, right? Gotcha. And the deep cavern bat that was there that created that trigger is no longer there. Is no longer there, yeah. Remember okay. whenever an object in magic changes zones and re-enters, it's a completely new instance of that object. It has no memory of its previous existence. Gotcha, okay. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're correct. Because the the way it's worded, where it's just one singular thing, it just does that, and like you said, it no longer exists, so you don't get to take a card. Yep. Like or that, there's nothing to put under the bat because the bat was never really there. Yeah. That bat. That bat was. That bat is gone. It's been replaced mm-hmm. by a different identical bat. Yeah. So you may think you can double it up and get two cards, but with the way that ETB is worded or the way like that just effect is you it only does it once exactly now i like it's amazing how much wiggle room there is this is always a common thing i hear from people that like kind of start learning about interacting with the stack is like much shit there is that you can do how many times you get a chance to do something and how much of an impact you can have on the engine that's running this game. How much and stuff you can how... do with a single instance, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And also how complicated it can be. How complicated it can be for normal people who don't have the brain of Anthony. Imagine it Imagine it like, you know how whenever a token changes zones, what happens when a token goes to the graveyard? It's gone forever. forever. It just flips out of existence. Mm-hmm. A deep cavern bat that's in play, what is it? Like... If you had to describe it as a magic object, what is it? A creature. It is mm-hmm. a creature. A permanent. Or permanent. It's a yeah. creature. It's a permanent. Both of those mm-hmm. things are true. A non-token permanent. Somebody unsummons your deep cavern bat. It is in your hand. What is it? A permanent? No, it's absolutely not a permanent. A spell. A spell? Right? No, it's it's not a it's not a spell either. What? <laughs> the card. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a magic card. Yes. It is not a permanent. It's a permanent card, but it's not a. Permanent. Oh, I, okay. I, I get. I get. <laughs> I'm sure. not talking. What down. is a? What magic object is it? If it's in the graveyard, what is it? It's a permanent. It is right? not a permanent. A it's permanent a magic is card a, is a card that is on the on battlefield. the battlefield. So it's just a magic card. It's a creature. It card. is. It's a permanent card. It's a creature card. Those things are yeah. all true. It's a card in there. So if you had to sacrifice a permanent, right? Could you discard a card from your hand to pay that cost? No, it would have to be on the battlefield. No. If you wanted to activate scavenging ooze, it checks not if it's a creature. It checks, is it a creature card, right? Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, put a plus one, plus one counter on scavenging. Because creatures don't exist in the graveyard. Creature cards do. Creature cards do. We understand that the object that a magic card is in any given situation does depend if you are asked to discard a card you cannot do that from you know you discarding a card happens from your hand if you are half if you have to discard a creature card that's a different thing well it's also you get to that part's that. intuitive by the word discard or sacrifice sacrifice implies that it has to be in play for you to be able to sacrifice it discard means that you have to get rid of it i mean i think that part of the sacrifice intuitively means in play is just part of your experience with magic talking. There is nothing about the word sacrifice that means that it has to happen, as evidenced by other games where you can sacrifice cards from your hand. There's nothing about the word sacrifice that means it has to be a permanent. That is a specific to magic thing that you you know. You prescriptively know that, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, I, get, I get what you're saying, where just, like, it's just more of our knowledge of being magic players and whenever we hear the word sacrifice, we it's like, yeah, it has to be on the battlefield for us to do it. But in, with what we're talking about, reading, it explains it or just reading what it is. 
like you said, another game sacrifice could mean another thing, but you have to be like, you <laughs> know, and, and exiling could be like with Pat the Exile, you exile a creature permanent that's on the battlefield. And with Scavenging Jews, you exile a creature card, which is in the graveyard. It's the mm -hmm. same word of exile, but it's two completely different things that both involve a mm -hmm. creature. It is it is affecting two completely different objects. Like, And just keep going on this point because it's so cool and so helpful. Is Ashley, you have some experience with this one, okay? In Arkham, the word exile means something different than it does in magic. In magic, it means remove the card from the game. Put it in the exile pile, right? Mm -hmm. In Arkham, exile means remove it from the game, remove it from your deck. If you want to put it back in your deck, you have to buy it again. So... Even though different games can use the same term, they might not necessarily mean the same thing. And I think, Ashley, in that situation, you're talking about sacrifice, meaning from a permanent in play, that is contextual knowledge that you have that someone that has never played Magic would not have. There's nothing about the word permanent that implies it has to be a, that nothing about the word sacrifice that implies innately as an English speaker that the thing you sacrifice has to be a permanent. Right. right. So I think the big thing here is, and it really kind of gets at that, is that you have a contextual understanding here that you are applying to the text on a card, even just like the, the sacrifice a permanent card that we're talking about. We didn't even name the card. You have a contextual understanding here that is helping you execute the text on this card. And I think that in and of itself is something that causes a great big difference mm -hmm. when you're trying to read the card to understand the card right is yeah. you don't realize what contextual knowledge you're bringing to the table actually you brought contextual knowledge to the table just now with that example that's why i'm going on about it it's not like not to call you out <laughs> literally the opposite of that you have more contextual knowledge about this than you think i actually really like this point too because like like you've talked about we know the game of magic so we kind of assume and like get ourselves into trouble where it's just like oh it means this instead of just reading the lines of text on the card we just kind of assume that it does this or like we assume these words mean this like mm -hmm. so it's like yeah contextually as a magic player like i know sacrifice a permanent it, like it has to be there but instead you kind of shortcut yourself it's like yeah and then you read a card that's vaguely similar or being in a situation playing in a similar that you have to read something like five times to fully understand it because you're just like no as a magic player this means that instead of just reading exactly what the card does yeah but also you have contextual knowledge of magic and the stack that differs from my knowledge of the stack that shows Absolutely. you the mm -hmm. obvious difference between tide hollow scholar and deep cavern bat that Bingo. I do not see. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. Which exactly. is what, we... what which is what that is. You have that has to be explained to someone despite mm -hmm. any mm -hmm. logic difference, despite linguistic difference, mm -hmm. whatever, you know? No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. That's what I mean. And that's why I'm saying the gap, the presence of this gap doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're an idiot. <laughs> no. Because I read the text on those cards and Ashley read the text on those cards and they meant something different to me. And here's an example I want to use for this, right? I can give the same instruction to two people and get different results out of them. If my mm -hmm. instruction, especially if my instruction is jargon heavy, like if I were to say, Oh, we're playing, we're playing three on three goblin trash masters versus the second best explicit magic, the gathering podcast out there. <laughs> okay. And I say, Ashley, I need you to do a pin down screen for Kyle. And Ashley will go like, 
What the fuck what? does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Please explain pin down screen. And if I reverse that and I say, Kyle, I need you to do a pin down screen for Ashley. Kyle will move into position and then be able to get a pin down screen for you. And mm -hmm. the same thing if I did like a Spain screen, elevator screen, back cut, any of these terms. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing is that these terms, if you crack them open like an egg and look inside of them, there's a whole bunch of extra shit in there. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm sacrifice is a term that if you crack it open, there's a whole bunch of extra shit in there. Mm -hmm. So two people can read the same magic card and be and get completely different ideas of how it works because a lot of the time, there are individual words in the rules text of a card that if you broke it open, there's a whole bunch of extra shit in there, rules text inside of that word that's not visible on the card. That's yep, pretty it's... fucking cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I, I really like having this conversation because like it's so interesting how, like you said, there's so much stuff in the side that little in that egg. You just think, oh, I'm just gonna crack this egg open. It's just, you know, a sacrifice effect. It's like, no. And sometimes so much more. It's not just something. Okay, here's the thing. It's not just yolk and white and that like weird film inside mm -hmm. of that egg. You know what's inside of that egg sometimes? A chicken. Another motherfucking egg. <laughs> but wait, there's more. It's a Ginsu knife. What about that egg inside of that egg? You know what could be inside of that? Another fucking egg. <laughs> yes. So look at it this way. Ulamog, the... The ceaseless hugger. No, right. the, the the worst one. The Ulamog gyre. gyre. Yes. Yeah, turning and turning the ever-widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Now, when Ulamog attacks defending player <laughs> annihilator four right yeah annihilator happens <laughs> so annihilator four happens we crack open annihilator four and it says when this creature attacks the defending player sacrifices four permanent all right let's we got another egg in there sacrifice what's sacrifice choose a permanent card you control and put it into the graveyard what's attack when the creature is declared as an attacker there's two eggs side by side on the same level and you can just nest shit in there forever you're really describing I want a you Russian to... nesting doll, not eggs. That's, better. <laughs> That's a much better example. Now, I want you to think about it this way, Yeah, because right? biology doesn't work that way. Eggs can have eggs in them. You can get somebody double pregnant. I went to Catholic school. That's obvious. Now, I want you to imagine it this way. Think about the completely, because I'm going to relate it to grammatical syntax, of course, for, you know. That's shocking. Wow. I want I'm you to think of the complete. I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. Uh. I want you to think about the grammatically complete sentence sharks eat. Sharks eat? They do. Or sharks, sharks comma, eat, right? It's not, it's, it's two incomplete clauses. Okay. Sharks eat is a complete sentence. You've got a subject, you've got an, you've got an intransitive verb, right? Sharks, they do eat. Sharks will eat stuff sometimes, but okay. sharks eat. What about sharks? Sharks eat, eat. Like the sharks that sharks eat also themselves eat. So you've got the sentence sharks, comma, sharks, eat, comma, eat. So you've got shark, sharks, eat, eat. Grammatically correct. Nested again. Shark, shark, sharks, eat, eat, eat. Also a grammatically correct sentence. Run it back. Let's do that bitch again. Shark, sharks, shark, sharks, eat, 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 eat. Also grammatically correct. My brain hurts. It Same can though. nest infinitely. It can go as far as you want. I mean, it stops making sense to an actual language speaker. But magic cards also stop making sense to actual magic players, too, at a certain point of complexity. Yeah. But you can keep nesting shit inside of other shit. It's not like a box in the real world. There's only so many separate heads you can fit in one box. Or a duffel bag. Yes, it's always separate heads. 
This is so much fun. <laughs> I know nice. you're having a grand old time. I'm having such a good time right now. And I think everyone else just has a headache. But it also like it's, it's funny. The first an, thing. Yeah, almost an hour. Almost <laughs> just, an hour on the first point, And this is 10 pages long. Well, I think we've been making a lot of points about like the whole topic we've been talking about. But I like how you talked about like the sharks eat thing that goes on forever and you nest inside. And like the first thing that popped into my head when you were doing that, it's like, it's grammatically correct. It's like, well, this just sounds like a really complicated stack when you play a game of magic when it, it is. is real, real weird because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. We haven't even talked about Pangalatial Worm yet. Can, can no, we, can no, we, don't. Can we not? I mean, no. fucking will. I will no, never. No, fuck that card. <laughs> it does not make sense. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and resolve another dialectic because Kyle has some more prepared for us. I'll make this one simple or uh, it won't be. Fuck it. I'm just going to go into a blood artist and <laughs> Zulaport cutthroat. So blood artist, it reads whenever blood artist or another creature dies, comma, target player loses one life and you gain one life, period. Zulaport cutthroat, whenever Zulaport cutthroat or another creature you control dies, comma, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Those are the same card, right? Ashley, no. are they the same card? No. What's the difference? What are the differences? The first one. Okay. I was going to say the first one is target, but that's not true. The that first is true. one. No, it is true. You got that. It says whenever blood artist or another creature dies, whenever Zulaport or another creature you control dies. That's one difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is target. One of them targets. The other one doesn't. One mm -hmm. of them cares if it's your creature or somebody else or any creature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's the third difference? It has. It's really. It, it's it's the nesting doll inside of the target player. Right. Clause. Target player loses one life and you gain one life versus each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. You're not targeting. So it gets around protections. It gets around protection. And also, can you cause more than one point of life loss this with a Zulaport Cutthroat in a multiplayer game? Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's exactly. one sentence. Very close. Three differences, and one differences. of the differences was nested inside another difference. Mm -hmm. Sharks, sharks eat, eat. I mean, it's true because, like, they eat, like I, tide, they just be eating up in here. But like, I the tide hollow sculler deep cavern bad. That one was very confusing, and because tide hollow sculler is, you know, for like for me, it was confusing, and I've played that card a lot. But this one, I, I like this example a lot because you read these cards, and I've seen a lot of really good magic players tell me she's like what or ask me why do you play zulaport over blood artists it's just like you read the card right it's like well i just like they're the same thing it's like no you gotta read them because they're very different you know one's targeting one's not like magic's a hard enough game and rule set but when you put like where grammar's difficult like yeah it's just a blood artist effect i don't like that term because zulaport blood artist and any other one they print is going to be completely fucking different and god Anthony's making me learn about grammar and my brain hurts. Now we're going to talk next up. We're going to talk about Noam Chomsky. Oh, my God. All right. What do we got up next? We've got similar effects can be on different cards. And a good way to kind of get a better idea of how Blood Artist works is by just reading Zulaport Cutthroat and doing what we just did. Ashley, what are the differences? Look at Tide Hollow Skuller. Look at Deep Cavern Bat. What mm -hmm. are the differences? Because... You're going to be able to tell those differences, and then those differences are going to be able to apply in-game, and you'll have a better idea of how two cards interact in a game. Right. Even if it's not the two cards we're comparing, you'll have a better idea of how Deep Cavern Bat works if you can explain to me the differences between Deep Cavern Bat and Tide Hollow Skuller. But then it gets more complicated when you start adding different instances of other cards on yeah. it as well. You stress so, it out. 
you mm-hmm. stress you 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 take the points and you you see that there's a difference there. There's a difference between those two cards. So you just keep adding other stuff in and seeing if you can stretch it in different directions and see where the differences are. You can right. pick it up and you can mess around with it mm-hmm. and see what the differences are between different effects. Well, and the difference of like what if you did a board wipe on blood artist versus what if i have five creatures you have four creatures on a zulaport cutthroat how Mm -hmm. much life am i losing when my board wipe my wrath of god resolves five because you have five creatures Mm -hmm. and let's say the same thing except i have five creatures and you have five creatures and one of your five creatures is a blood artist how much life am i losing five and five you'd lose ten this is another creature hey. seeing all the creatures. Right. Mm-hmm. Killing it. Killing it. <laughs> Ashley's on fire tonight. Holy shit. All right. I'm trying. You're doing great, honestly. <laughs> and this is like, this isn't easy by yeah, any this means. Is, this is not. Yeah. Also, you just will get to the point where you get to be able to see these differences and come up with this in sub five seconds. But like, it's kind of like walking through the jungle versus walking on a trail, right? You're walking mm-hmm. through the jungle. You got to do your machete. You got to cut your way through like vines and uh, territorial chimpanzees <laughs> and just get them at Christian Slater's. No, yes, yes. I knew it. <laughs> he said chimpanzees. I was like, oh, God. No, here it comes. Not Christian but, Slater's chimpanzees. Who um, else is going to pack the HelloFresh meals? Come on. But <laughs> you got, but then like you go through it once and it's. It's hard. It's like walking through molasses. You go through it the second time. It's still not great, but it's easy. You walk through it the hundredth time, and then all of a sudden, it's a well-worn path that doesn't cause you difficulty anymore Mm -hmm. because you genocided a bunch of chimpanzees. (laughs) I did nothing of the sort. Hey, practice makes perfect. I like practice makes slightly better. Practice makes your chimpanzee slave labor easier here. Yeah, it's true. You know what? Mm. And this might give some insight <laughs> into me as a person. Mm. You know what my mother always told me? It was what? it was practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you're practicing doing something wrong, you're just getting better at doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're practicing your jump shot with bad form, you're just getting better at having a bad jump shot. Yeah, that's true. Practice it right. Yeah, You're but... going to watch this YouTube video and watch it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but striving for perfection make, is an unachievable goal there is no perfection right so practicing for progress is i think you know perfection should still be a goal even though if you can never attain it but like you know you in the back of your head you know you'll never be perfect but you always want to have that goal like this is the end goal i might never reach it but i'm always going to work toward it and you have to practice perfectly because like you know in perfect might not be the right word but like anthony said if you're practicing a jump shot with poor form you just have a bad jump shot if you practice a jump shot with good form, you will get a better jump shot. So I'm using perfect and I'm using perfect and its original form, which is complete. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like the imperfect or the pluperfect tenses. Sure. Always <laughs> goes back to grammar and linguistics. Of course it does. This whole episode is about grammar, basically, in the form of magic cards. Why would you all unleash me on the people like this? I don't know why it's... I unleash you on me. Yeah, that that too. Yeah, playing the card, playing cards help you understand what you're gonna do, right, Kyle? You had that anti example that you were gonna share. Yeah. So yeah, like Anthony said, with the, you know playing the card helps you understand the card, and I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And I use anti Seneschal of the Sun, which is a newer card, because it's a real world experience for me. 
you know, I read NT a lot because there's a lot of text on it. And I'll read it for you all just so we can, you know, kind of break it down. NT reads, whenever you attack, comma, you may discard a card, period. When you do, comma, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature, period. It gains trample until end of turn. The next line of text says, whenever you discard one or more cards, comma, exile the top card of your library, period. You may play that card until your next end step. So reading this card, I'm like, cool. The top half works with the bottom half. It's 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 a fun card advantage thing. I'm reading this card. I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. I played with it a few times. Like, oh, I kind of get it. It's, it's cool. I thought I knew what the card did until I myself channeled a Besaju. And then NT went on the stack. And, and then I go, oh, shit. Because I read it again. I go, whenever you discard one or more cards, you just discard a card. There's no other stipulation. It's not you have to do it with Inti's ability. But me playing with this card helped me understand it more than just me reading it and thinking like, no, I get it. I get it. It's kind of like you reading a book or reading a paragraph in a book and just going like, okay, I think I get it. And then you read it another time. It's like, oh, okay. You know, like you have to do it a few more times. I, I struggle with that having like you know some form of adhd or just like all of it because i don't fully comprehend some things but when i do something like this playing cards in a game of magic i've i actually understand what inti does and i got that real world like experience of just playing the card understanding what it does instead of just me reading it and just be like oh yeah i get it yeah well and, and like your first hint that something's up there is that it's two abilities, right? It's two lines of text. Two abilities, yes. Inti mm -hmm. really has the ability whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library, you might play that card until your next end step. And then has a second ability, the, the one that appears first, is a mm -hmm. secondary ability that is there to, it's like, it has its own enabler right there. Mm -hmm. Its first ability is there to enable the second ability. But it still Actually. triggers upon others' discards. Mm-hmm. Because its main text is whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library. You might play that card until your next end step. I'd even argue that the formatting on this card should be the opposite. Like it should list yep. those same two abilities, but mm -hmm. in the opposite order. And I think that it would create less confusion. But magic templating usually goes with ETB, LTB, attack, and then other like triggers. As far as mm -hmm. triggered abilities go, it mm -hmm. usually likes to go in that order. So no, I, do, I do agree with you that I think if it was flipped, I think more people, including myself, would would fully understand what the card mm -hmm. did more than what it is now. But well, that's just and if, magic. You, if your experience with it is based on you consistently resolving the first part. Right. So you're thinking I'm going to attack because I'm playing this in a deck that has red. So that's generally what they're doing. So then I get to discard a card. So you think, oh, that discard from me says i get to exile the top card mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. completely so, different line of text it's so you there's ability. two right and there's two different instances of it right so mm -hmm. it's the instance of you can of you doing it and and sorry i'm using that term differently yeah it's it's, it's, it, it's yeah. the it's the situation how about that the situation where you are discarding versus another situation where after you doing that you may also be caused to discard right yeah, no matter what context in which you're discarding a card, Inti's second ability is going to trigger. Yeah. Yes. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. And I think what happens is that a lot of people moosh those two lines of text together and they treat mm -hmm. it as if it's one ability because it's an ability. The first ability enables the second ability. So it's super common to moosh those two together. And all of a sudden you've got one ability. And you're like, I'm not discarding from attacking. So this second thing doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So. 
That's why I struggle with it sometimes because I put them in the context, in that context. And then I forget that that being separate Mm -hmm. is triggered from something else. It's a whole separate triggered ability. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is a really common mistake, Mm -hmm. especially when cards have more than one ability. Here at the Goblin Trash Masters, we love competitive magic and we want to see it flourish. We know that there are tons of local game stores that want to run competitive events like RCQs, but might not have the resources or experience to be willing to try. Maybe they have tried, but they're a little nervous about getting back on that horse. We're excited to announce a new program all about Comp REL that we're calling the Comp REL Assistance Program, or CRAP for short. CRAP is there to help your small or medium LGS run Comp REL events like RCQs by providing them with support and materials necessary to run an outstanding event. Competitive integrity is our top priority, and we can help your store to break into the market of listeners like you. CRAP support involves either assisted hosting or remote consultation with our hosts who have a combined 23 years of tournament organizing experience. All participating stores receive a kit that contains everything they need to run a great and accurate event with things like an in-store event poster, table tents, deck registration sheets, and plenty of stickers and tokens to give out. Best of all, this assistance program is completely free of charge for your LGS and always will be. We offer assistance in the form of remote event planning via consultation or in-person hosting for stores within range of the Lexington, Kentucky area. Our goal is to do our part to support competitive magic, not to try to make a profit off of your LGS. If you think that your LGS might be interested, have them reach out to us via our website. The instructions are available at www.thegoblintrashmasters.com slash crap. That's www.thegoblintrashmasters.com thegoblintrashmasters.com slash crap. Spelled C-R-A-P. Like how a child would say shit. Wait, that's been that that's been like that the whole fucking time? None of you fucking told me. We can't actually have this as the name. You know that, right? Everything's printed, bud. It's too late to change it. No, 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 no. We should call it something less awful. Like uh the competitive Unified nerd training. Yeah, competitive unified nerd training. Yeah, that's way better. Jesus fucking Christ, you're both stupid. Okay, so I feel like for like a lot of new players, there's uh, this gap. So what mm-hmm. we're talking about is this gap that exists between the text of the card and what you actually physically do with your hands. It's not remotely limited to magic. I know that I'm kind of, this. this idea is kind of, undermining the read the card explains the card paradigm we set up why is that so like if we treat the text on magic cards like they're instructions then what we're talking about is taking the information that's provided to us in the form of instructions and turning those instructions into actions and there's a transaction that happens there right we're turning something into something else there's a transaction when you turn money into cats from a pet store or when you turn cats into sausages in your kitchen. Oh, come on. No, no injuring cats. (laughs) This translation is where the gap lives, okay? When you turn a cat into a sausage, you're going to lose some amount of cat meat in translation. This is a horrible example. (laughs) Why would I do this? I don't know, and you own a cat. You need to look at your lovely baby witchlight and tell him you're sorry. Yes. And then fix it. So I want to look at this gap from like two main perspectives. One is like an experienced magic player that's like very confused 
by why your friends that are newer to the game are, are just like making up or ignoring text on cards. Like, what are you doing? Just, just read the card. It explains the card. I mm -hmm. mean, obviously, for all the reasons we've already discussed and more. Like, yeah. that's not the case, right? Mm -hmm. And also, as a new player that's just struggling to resolve your own cards, if you find yourself being like a more experienced player and newer players are just like repeatedly not doing what's printed on the card, what do you do? The first thing is that you have to acknowledge it's not always laziness, but sometimes it just fucking is, okay? So, like, get that out of the way first. Just accept that sometimes it is. Some people will come into this game and just expect to be able to absorb knowledge about the game or how to play or how to reason through things like it through osmosis. Just like, oh, if I sit next to sit next to people enough, eventually I'll figure it. It'll, I'll just get it from that without having to do any work. Just with those with those people, even if they ask you for your help, just let them just let them lose their matches and they'll either fix their attitude or they'll leave. Like enjoy their contributions to the prize pool in the meantime. But this is like an example of leading a horse to water. You can lead a horse to water. You cannot make it drink. You cannot force somebody to mm -hmm. to meaningfully interface with something. They don't want to put the effort into interfacing. So first of all, take that off the table for yourself. You are not responsible for somebody else's effort in any situation. They can be paying you as a coach and it doesn't matter. You're still not responsible for their effort. You never, you are never in any facet of life are you responsible for somebody else's effort or lack thereof? I 100% agree. I use an example from one of my professors in, in school. It was a critique where he was very harsh on me and not on another student. And we asked him after, like, hey, why, why didn't you give it to this person? Like, you know, like they needed some constructive criticism like he gave me. And he goes, same thing. I, I'm not going to help somebody if they don't want it. You can't, you can't force somebody to, to interface with magic and learn these things if they don't want to. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong or bad about somebody wanting to show up, about somebody wanting to show up, jam some games, not really bother to learn what's going exactly. on, and then just yeah. go home at the end of the night. Like, mm -hmm. that's fine. Just don't let yourself feel or become responsible for that. It's a losing battle. I can tell you, even when people ask for help on stuff, you've got to recognize that some percentage of the time when they're asking for help, they don't actually want it. They just want to be better and think that you helping them is the easiest way to get there. And if they're just looking for the easiest way to get somewhere, then their pro their effort probably isn't in it. Yeah. And just like don't set yourself up to be to be on the hook for somebody else half-assing something. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. my usual mm -hmm. thing is I'll I'll I've helped a lot of magic players over the years with specific things that they've asked me. This and that. And my general rule is if we say, okay, this is what we need to do. And then they just like don't do that thing. I don't throw good money after bad. And that means that I'm not going to continue to pour my effort into someone that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. If we agree, oh, yeah, we need to do this. And then they just like don't do it. If we're like, oh, yeah, let's do a review on a league and they either don't show up or cancel or like get there. They're like, I actually didn't play a league this week. And I'm just like, OK, I'm, I'm just my my reaction to that is okie doke. Sounds good, man. And then I don't take time out of my schedule to do that again. If you're frustrated <laughs> with a player who's repeatedly not doing what is printed on the card, I think it's important to ask yourself why, though. Sure, like, yeah. If if you're in a match with them, that could actively benefit you. If they're not resolving cards correctly or if they're doing things in an order that doesn't work for their benefit, right? Like, yeah. It could arguably muddy the waters a little, too. Mm, sure. If, it, if they're not 
doing that correctly. But frustration isn't going to help the player across from you learn if you're in the position of they are attempting to learn from you, whether it's laziness or not. Like, I know for me, frustration from another party just makes me want to move past it or even leave, depending on the case. Um, yeah. It's up to the person to decide how they want to interact with it, including the frustration of the party who knows how the card works. I agree with what you're saying. I just don't think that if your goal is to get the the new player across from you to be able to interface with the game better, being like getting frustrated with them and displaying that frustration isn't isn't moving you towards that goal. So your action isn't progressing you towards your desired outcome, at which point I'd say it's not a good action to take. I think mm -hmm. that's true in magic. I think that's true interpersonally. I think that's true in life. If mm -hmm. you're if you're doing a thing and the thing isn't moving you towards your goal, then you shouldn't be doing that thing. Right. <laughs> the like now, I agree that like if the person across from you is just like botching the board state to a point that you don't get to play magic. Yeah, that's a even if that's you're not different. worried. Even if you're not like worried about helping them get better, mm -hmm. like that is. That is a thing. If the person that you're sitting across from yeah. is disrupting the tournament in some way, that's mm -hmm. a different that's a different story, you know? Yeah. But I just I couldn't agree more that just like either they genuinely are trying and your frustration hurts your goal purported goal to help them, mm -hmm. or they're not trying and they don't give a fuck. And then your frustration also doesn't do anything. It just makes you more upset and makes the other part the other party just like not feel good. Doesn't it certainly doesn't make them play better whether they're trying or not trying? Doesn't mm -hmm. your frustration yep. is never going to have a positive impact? It's either going to have a negative impact or none. You end on them. So like, mm -hmm. where's the value in that? There's none. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I for for me the only time I think I find myself the only time I think I find myself feeling personally frustrated when I'm working with somebody is the first slash last time that they want me to help them with something and they bail on me. That that I'm just like, I, I just but I just cut that shit off. I figure that that is that is that's my that's my go to on situations like that. Remember, you're don't put yourself in a situation where you're responsible for somebody else's effort. Don't put that on yourself. It's not worth it. If you're if you think it's not laziness, though, you got to remember a few things. First of all, there's a shit ton of text in play, like mm -hmm. way more than when you were learning the game. Just so you know, there's still only 50 minutes per match. But there's way more text that needs to be read and then executed. And mm -hmm. a lot of those, that text is more complex and requires more decisions. Think mm -hmm. about the explore mechanic. Yeah. Explore is one word. Mm -hmm. But if we pop open that Russian nesting doll, it's actually reveal the top card of your deck. If it's a land, put it into your hand. If it's a non-land, put a plus one plus one counter on your creature. Then you can leave that on top or put it in your graveyard. So that is action, potential action, get some dice for a third action, action with a choice. There's four. There's four dolls inside of the first doll. Mm -hmm. And that's just the first keyword on the card. That's just explore. What mm -hmm. happens if we need to explore twice? What happens if we explore while there's a wild growth walker in play? Oh, God. What happens if we explore and there's a wild growth walker in play? And an Amalia. <laughs> and an Amalia in play. What happens if we explore and there's a wild growth walker and a hardened scales in play? What if we explore and there's a wild growth walker and a hardened scales and an and uh, the the two mana ozolith in play? Yeah. What if we explore and there is the two mana ozolith in play, a hardened scales and a botanical brawler in play? 
You can see how eggs. things can happen. There's just so many eggs. There's so many goddamn eggs. There's so many fucking dolls everywhere. It's like my <laughs> living room. So all that. And then there's life gain is more common. Card draw is more common, both of which tend to extend games out. Mm-hmm. Games are lasting a longer number of turns, even in lower, especially in lower powered, smaller formats like standard than there were before. There's more pressure than ever to play quickly and shortcut where you can. When you're working with someone, I like to start with the assumption that it's not laziness and it's not stupidity first. Just start from there. Yeah. People that are lazy and or stupid will scream to you that they're lazy and stupid. <laughs> they will, they will, they will megaphone it directly into your motherfucking ear. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. You will, you will be able to tell. Be patient. If you see them resolving something wrong, encourage them to read it again. Say, okay, read that again. Ask them questions about things. Remember, the timer's still going, so hopefully your new player's working on this with you outside of formal events with a timer. Mm. But even if they're not, I think that every every experienced Magic player, there's some amount of expectation that you're willing to, to do something like that with somebody new, especially at like casual rules enforcement level. Mm-hmm. Um, if you yourself now are a newer player, some of these experiences will probably sound familiar. You resolve a spell or ability, and your opponent then has to prompt you to finish it. They're like, okay, and you might resolve a spell or ability that has multiple steps, which you try to resolve all at the same time. Then your opponent or a judge has to rewind the game, and then you can resolve your spell in order like it's written on the card. You take a game action, and your opponent doesn't do anything, and your spell resolves, and you are surprised. You're just like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, Or you're just falling for onboard tricks. These are all signs that... I think this gap is present with you. So simply put, and I've said this before, you cannot make any meaningful in-game decisions like the player you want to be if you are failing to manage the game state itself. It's like trying to drive cross-country in a car that will not start. Sure, it's good to make decisions about which roads to take, which are the fastest, where the traffic is and isn't, but like, you're not at a point where you need to make those decisions. It doesn't matter. You have to get the car to start first. You need things to be a basic level of functioning before you can start making any meaningful decision. So what should you do if you're one of these players? First things first, stop your shortcuts. Your shortcuts are fucking terrible. They're all awful. Magic players develop the worst fucking shortcuts. Like, and I understand the game basically requires some amount of shortcuts unless people are just like really in tune with the game rules. But I think people should spend less time making up dumb shortcuts and more time being prepared for game rules. I think people should spend less time picking out their playmats and more time getting the fucking tokens they need so that nobody ever takes a card out of their graveyard and puts it face down on the battlefield in front of each. Uh, I did that. Somebody did that round one of an RCQ against me. And I like took my stylus from my boogie board and I put it under the card and I just flipped it back off the playmat. Didn't say a word. I was just like, absolutely not doing any of that. You'll develop new shortcuts, but the shortcuts you have right now are making you play slower. They're making you play worse. Both of them. When you cast a spell, just resolve the spell, okay? The resolution of the spell happens after all of your decisions are made, so you can make up your time there. Just start at the top of the text box and then do the things that it says on the card. Just keep going. Don't stop doing things it says on the card until you reach the bottom of the text box. Just keep going. Just don't, just don't stop doing it. Sunfall. Exile all creatures. Incubate X, where X is the number of creatures exiled this way. 
the number of times I see people like resolve a sunfall and then just like not incubate. You can't tell me that you're making decisions. You're making the best decision you can if you're resolving half of your card. How am I supposed to believe that you're making decisions based on what your sunfall is going to do if your sunfall is doing something isn't doing what it's supposed to do? Are you making decisions based on what you think sunfall does? Probably, Probably. not. Yeah. Like I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe that people that are just like resolving cards aren't able I, I I don't believe that they're making any meaningful decisions about game action. Because if you are just consistently resolving cards incorrectly, you don't know what's going to happen when the card finishes resolving. Mm -hmm. So like if I if I press the doorbell at Kyle's house, I'm expecting the bell to ring and that dog to bark. Correct. Right. <laughs> Let's say I have no idea what a fucking doorbell does. I see a button outside of Kyle's house and I push it. Do you think that even if I say I did, do you think I actually predicted that Kyle's dog was going to bark when I pressed that button? Absolutely fucking not. No. Anybody that says they do, they're full of shit. They're lying. Yeah. They're lying. They're just taking game action. And the same thing happens in magic. They're just taking game actions and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. Like they're not at the point where they're making actual gameplay decisions yet. So. This is a good example of you need to get the car running before you can take it cross country. When I talk about the gap, I'm talking about that delta that exists between somebody reading a card and being able to understand what the card actually does. Let's look at Preacher of the Schism, right? I like this card. I've had multiple people resolve this card's attack trigger, and every one of them has done it fucking differently. In spite of the text never changing, it didn't change. The text doesn't move around, okay? Unless you're drunk. God, how drunk would you have to be to have text moving? Very good. <laughs> so I like to look at things through what I call a black box approach. And we did a little hint of it earlier. And that is, this is going, what happens? And all the mechanisms of the card exist inside of that black box. But if it helps, if you kind of look at it as what's the input, what's the output? Look at it this way. The input to my black box is the number two. The output is the number four. What do you think's happening in that black box? Two. Like we're adding two. Okay, my input in the black box is six. The output is 12. Same black box. Do you think that your previous idea of what the black box does is right? Yes. So two plus two equals four and two plus two equals 12. Wait, I put in the number two. The black box shakes around. It spits out the number four. You said, I think it's adding two to whatever you put into the box. I say, okay, let's try that out. Put in the number six. The black box shakes around. It spits out the number 12. What do you think is happening inside that black box? It's multiplying by two. Bingo. Ashley mm. has just solved this black box logic problem, right? And I love the black box effect, right? So let's let's look at this where you talked about like reading through the card in detail. Let's talk about it through a black box approach right now. I have a preacher of the schism. I'm at 14. My opponent's at 12. I attack with preacher. What happens? Preacher, me at 14, my opponent at 12. All those inputs go into the box. Shake it around. What happens? You lose a life draw card. That's exactly right. Ashley's pulling up Preacher of the Schism. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. you want me Can just you read, read it, it for us, Ashley? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I like your idea. Okay. Two in a black, two, four. Death touch. Whenever Preacher of the Schism attacks the player with the most life or tied for most life, create a one, one white vampire creature token with lifelink. New Whenever line. New line. <laughs> Yep. Whenever a creature of the schism attacks while you have the most life or are tied for most life, you draw a card and you lose one life. Right. So Kyle was right. I'm at 14. My opponent's at 12. I attack with the creature of the schism. The result is I lose a life draw card when that mm -hmm. attack trigger resolves. The part in the middle is important, but we want to make the problem small. That's why I'm saying let's look at this through that black box approach. 
this is how most people learn these interactions on their own with without help, just by playing in events where the rules are enforced, correct? This is how people learn about these interactions or did for a really long time. They'll get the black box question or black box puzzle wrong during the game, and then they'll eventually get like a descriptive feel for how things work. Mm-hmm. If you're playing a card, think about black box situations you can put that card in. Ashley, mm-hmm. I'm at 12 life. You're at 14 life. I attack with a preacher of the schism. Put all that into a black box, shake it around. What gets spit out? What happens when the preacher attacks? Then you get a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink. Bingo. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm at 12 life. You're at 12 life. I attack with the preacher. Put it in the box. Shake it around. Box spits something out. What's happening? You get both a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink and you draw a card and you lose a life. Why? Now we can... With a why, we get to pop open that black box. You've had enough examples now that you can pop open that black box and you have a better understanding of what's happening in that text, right? Mm-hmm. So pop it open. Why? Because both lines give the qualification or are tied for most life. Yep. So there are two separate abilities. How many abilities are, how many attack abilities trigger? Two. That's right. There's two separate abilities. They both trigger right then and there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So. You can do this black box approach a lot. Here is the trouble with this, though. That Atraxa that you just cast and put onto the table is the same physical object as an Atraxa that's in the in play, that's on the stack, that's in your hand, that's in the graveyard, that's in your binder. It's the same physical piece of cardboard, right? But it's very different when it moves from one zone to another in the context of magic. It's a different magic object. You know how I said physical object before? The physical object is this dream trawler is always going to be a card physically, Mm -hmm. but it is a card in my hand when it's in my hand. It's a creature card in my graveyard when it's in the graveyard. It's a spell while it's on the stack and it's a creature when it's on the battlefield, right? Okay. Paper magic can obfuscate that because you aren't just the person making the game decisions. You are 50% of the people at your table in your match that are responsible for maintaining the game state. You are the rules engine as well as the player. You are the boat and the captain at the same time. And that's a fucking lot. So imagine you are a child and you want to know what happens when you drop a rock off the pier, right? I did this when I was younger. I dropped a rock off the pier and was like, what happened? And then I, I'm doing the black box test as a child there. I'm like, I'm going to put it in an input and see what happens on the output, Okay. I can drop the rock off the pier and just figure out what happens. Then I know because gravity is taking care of the rest. Gravity doesn't care about me or my pre-existing knowledge. It will do what gravity does in that situation every single fucking time. I can have no knowledge of gravity and drop the rock 100 times and 100 times it's going to fall into the water. Zero of those times is it going to fall the opposite direction. Okay. Paper magic is different. Because you're not the only, you are not only the one that needs to drop the rock, but you also need to maintain gravity to make sure it does what it's supposed to do when you let go of it. This is where like digital magic, I think, is really helpful. And it's why I believe that people that learn playing arena tend to come into the game much better at magic than the average person did 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the rules engine is being managed by the game. And that means that you, If you're not sure how something will work, you don't have to handle what is happening inside the black box. You get to just do the thing and see what the outcome is. You can just drop the rock and see what happens. Paper magic demands that you're 
both simultaneously the player and the game action. You have to be the child dropping the rock off the pier and God at the same time. That's tough. It's real tough. <laughs> and in the end, this is where I think the gap lives. It's that in-between stage where you don't know what the output will be based on your input until you test it to find out. And when you test it to find out, you're the one that needs to manage what's going on in the black box, right? So you're the one that has to make sure that it's working the way it's supposed to. Does that attract the entry the battlefield trigger actually work that way? Or did I get it wrong? I don't know. I just did the things. These are just physical pieces of cardboard. I'm the one that's making them dance. It's just like when you go to a ventriloquist show and the puppet insults you and people get mad at the puppet. You're like, no, 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 no. That guy with his hand up his ass. That's the one that's saying all that mean shit about your mother. Don't don't worry, Ma. You don't have a mustache. You're beautiful. The reason. So, like, it's different than throwing a rock off a pier. You're going to lose a lot of games this way, by the way, if you're black boxing it, especially if you find <laughs> that the gap's really bad for you. The reason for this is that other players are not black box tested. When they cast a spell or an activated ability, most of them know what the output's going to be, and they're planning their turns based on that output. They are, they know that when they drop this rock, it's going to fall into the water, and they've decided what they're going to do after that. While you're just trying to figure out what actually happened, they're a full step ahead of you. So how do you actually like fix this, fix this? You can play it more stuff, especially stuff where rules are strictly enforced. I find that people that like, People can jam hundreds of hours of magic and still be fucking terrible at this. And it's usually because they're playing in a setting that's so casual that rules aren't actually enforced, where if you get something wrong, like nothing gets enforced. So you never actually learn how it's supposed to work. Somebody will, if you and you're like, I, me and my friends definitely tapped Lana War Elves and then went into our deck and got a basic forest and put it into play. I just added a forest to my mana pool. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? I knew of people no who use sacrifice. I knew of people who use sacrifice, and they would sacrifice other people's creatures, stuff yep. like that. Like, mm -hmm. and if that's never challenged, if that's never corrected, they that's are black the box is. testing, and they're getting mm -hmm. ridiculous results. The black box yeah. is broken if the rules engine is not being enforced correctly. So, like, you can just do a lot of that. Or my personal favorite, and unsurprising, I'm sure to everybody, is you can solve a lot of this through just discussion. Just grab someone who knows the rules of magic and have them show you cards and ask them what happened. I cast this Doomblade targeting Momer Big. What happened? I cast this Doomblade targeting your Shieldra, the Apocalypse. What happened? I activate this Field of Ruin targeting your Sacred Foundry. What happened? I cast this Croaksa from my hand. What happened? I escape this Croaksa from the graveyard. What happened? I attack with this Croaksa. What happened? I play. I have a tireless tracker in play and I crack a fetch land. What happened? I block your 2-3 with my 3-3. Three, three. What happened? That's black box testing. If you're getting it wrong, then you can just go into the black box and take a peek at what's supposed to be happening. After all, and this is max frustration for everybody involved, it's printed right on the card, guys. It tells us right here. The answers are here. We just have to seek them. Seek. You crack that open, and it means some dumb shit that happens on Magic Arena. Correct. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. I agree that... Gab can live in, in the in-between stage of output versus input, but I want to take a minute and talk about the gap from a psychological perspective and why it happens for people sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I'm someone who struggles with the gap often, and I know I'm often frustrated with myself when I'm reading the card and the first part of the text doesn't stick by the time I get to the end of it. In reading about this, I've learned that this is related to the psychological term working memory. 
working memory is defined as the small amount of information that can be held in an especially accessible state and used in cognitive tasks, according to a psychology journal on the National Library of Medicine by Nelson Cowan. Citing sources, I see. I am. <laughs> uh, so it's magic isn't right. <laughs> magic is an especially cognitive game, right? Like, yeah, I don't absolutely. know about you guys, but I know at the end of an RCQ, my brain's on fire. Cowan states that various studies have found most typical adults can keep three or four items in mind at a time. If you look at modern day magic cards, they often have more than three or four lines of text to resolve on them, as we have they described sure, multiple they, times. Multiple they times. They sure do. They <laughs> sure do. That's a lot to keep in your mind at once. And then you add to that all the decision paths that you're considering and multiple cards in your hand in which one you're trying to decide. And there's a fucking lot of things that you're trying to decide through, right? If you can't get through the one card. And remember what's at the first part. How the fuck do you make the other decisions? So add to that if that working memory has a deficit. ADHD is characterized by a deficit in working memory. And you've all been listening to this podcast long enough, or we hope you have, to know that all of us have ADHD. This can make <laughs> learning magic <Yeah>. particularly <laughs> difficult. And I know it has for me. And also like... You're not alone. You're not no, alone there. <laughs> you are not. Yeah. Like, oh, this, yeah. <laughs> this is just an example, like a personal example to me and... I'm sure to either of you, but there are many different things that can affect this, right? So mm -hmm. this yeah. is just from a personal standpoint, but also all brains work differently. So, you know, what I'm not saying here is that this is impossible because of any kind of quote unquote deficit. Mm -hmm. It's not at all. And no. nor should you stop trying. I'm okay. definitely not going to Correct. stop trying. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is give a definition to why the gap is happening for the people frustrated with those who seem to be not learning. And for those of you such as myself frustrated with why you may not be learning as you wish. Working memory does eventually become long-term memory, or so they say, despite deficits or struggles with it. By so, Drew Barrymore in 51st States, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty sure working memory is different than short-term memory, but I'd have to look at that. So how do we combat this? How does working memory become long-term memory? How do I fucking remember the whole text of a card so I can resolve it correctly? All right. You are not going to like my answer. Never do. You're really not. Okay. I have another yes. answer to retort, but please go ahead. The nesting doll. Mm -hmm. You can only remember three to four chunks in your working memory, mm -hmm. but those chunks can within them have other pieces of information. You have three or four Russian nesting dolls, but you can pop that open and say, oh, this Russian nesting doll has Annihilator 4 on it. And you can you can nest things. You can sharks, sharks eat, eat as far down as you want and hack it so that you can still store as much information as you want and could possibly need in your own working memory by structuring it in such a way that important, like similar pieces of information are contained in their own groups. It's just like, I don't know, does anybody else use tab groups on like Google Chrome or something like that? Like, mm -hmm. I don't like having no, 50 tabs open, but I also need to have 50 tabs open at all times. So I group them into whatever I'm doing. Like I have one group of tabs for, hey, I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to do for this backyard projector I'm setting up for when it warms up a bit. That's a group mm -hmm. of tabs. The app I'm developing, group of tabs mm -hmm. all together. And so I only have four chunks. I tried to keep it to three or four for a reason. Mm. And then each of those tab groups has a bunch of tabs in it. And some of those tab groups have tab groups inside of them. 
And you know what is in some of those tab groups? Another group of tabs. You can just keep nesting stuff as much as you want and you can cram way more into your working memory right. just by nesting that. But part of nesting that means you have to be internalizing the stuff that is inside of those nested groups. But the working memory is remembering the tabs. It's not remembering every piece of something that's within them every yeah, time. Yeah, it's remembering right? those tab so groups. You, right. So then mm -hmm. you can break it down and you have smaller pieces to remember. Mm -hmm. But it, what if that's not a keyword? What if that's oh, a whole it never, two it lines all, of text? It almost right? never is, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, if you're breaking that down, it can fall apart there. Not to it, mention... It absolutely can. You need to internalize the subgroup. Right. Like, But that's the it, connection between working memory to long-term. That's a connection between short-term and long-term, right? Working memory is how much you can store and access simultaneously as if it were working memory is your RAM, right? It's not like storage. It's just the stuff you are currently working with. It's like your random so access short, memory that sure, you have. Short term to long term, yeah. So I think that if something exists in long term memory, you can pull it up and keep that thing as a subcomponent of one of your chunks of working memory. And I think if you have enough that exists in that long term memory then you can stuff as many bits from long-term memory as you want in one of your working memory chunks. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's like congruent with what you're saying too. I think so, because the next part that <laughs> is a big factor of this, how you connect all of that is time and repetition, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you repeating, mm -hmm. interacting with them multiple times, then that becomes your breakdown of tab groups, right? Mm -hmm. You have yeah. to keep reading the cards again and again and again until it sticks, and playing cards to see their interactions. Another factor comes from some of the best advice I've been given, and that's to learn how you learn. Everyone's brains are different, whether you have ADHD or not, and learning styles are important to this. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I don't have a name for a specific learning style that works for me. I haven't quite pinpointed this one thing is how I retain information, mostly because my memory is so scattered all the time. I've learned that I've learned something I think will be helpful, though. We, the Trash Masters, have used something like this to an extent, but there's apparently a name for it. It's based on Vygotsky's Zone of Proximal Development or Scaffolding Theory. Yeah. And Anthony's very excited that I Ashley said Vygotsky. that. Vygotsky. <laughs> he is. So I thought of you because this is kind of the practical application of Bloom's taxonomy. If I but recall correctly, Vygotsky and Bloom, Vygotsky and Bloom interacted with each other, I believe. Not sure. They, I is... believe they are like, they are like Plato and Socrates, like they are like Freud and Jung, like they like got into it. They're mm -hmm. like, they're like Rambo and Verlaine, except the way Rambo and Verlaine got into each other was different. I'd say. Well, so... actually not too different from Plato and Socrates, probably, right? Probably not. Talk about Matroska. <laughs> so it's sort of, yeah, I'm just going by that one. <laughs> yeah, leave it, please. It's, it's sort of an application of bloom's taxonomy but it's also not in it's, the way it's very that distinct. it is because they could be used together i like this one better personally so the zone of proximal development zpd refers mm -hmm. to the difference between what a learner can do without help and what they can achieve with guidance and encouragement from a skilled partner bingo the original studies related to this were done with children but we're playing a children's card game and we're all children at heart so much of it applies here the idea Very goes like so. this. The idea goes like this. With a skilled person, you use specific instruction, direct demonstration, and encouragement. You demonstrate the task, 
give specific instruction, and encourage them to try it themselves, not necessarily in the same order every time. In the study, the four-year-old was given a model, and the more skilled person, in this case their mother, would show them how to do it, guide them through the movements, and then say, have it go yourself. Once the child got frustrated, they went back to showing them how to do it. It's cyclical. Mm -hmm. So how could we apply this to magic? Give the rules of the game or a specific card interaction, watch people play the game with or without instruction, perhaps a mix of both, and then play it on your own without instruction. Magic is complex enough that this doesn't just apply to talking through a rule book, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know how many rules there are in the magic comprehensive rules? It's fucking absurd. While the interaction of the cards you're holding in your hand remain the same, the reaction of the cards at play may be different. So rinse and rinse and repeat. You may go mm-hmm. from being talked through every play you're making and understanding the interactions by the more skilled person you're working with to playing on your own and cycle right back around to being talked through some of it. Play against one matchup over and over with one deck and then go to a different one. Work on pieces at a time. How does this affect this turn? Every time for a whole game and multiple others. And then try thinking only one turn ahead. It's not a deficiency on your part or mine or either of our intelligence if you have to go back to the drawing board over and over until something sticks. Oh, God, no. This may not be how each of you would like to learn. There are multiple ways this could work for you. Some people prefer reading and then application because that's what works for them, but it doesn't work for everyone. If you struggle with reading a two and a half by three and a half inch card and remembering the first part of it by the time you get to the end, how can you read a whole fucking primer? Sorry. A whole fucking primer. Primer, primer has come back. Yeah. Primer. Hey, Ashley people, with the callback. Some people say primer, okay? Yeah, and Bagel. some people need to wear helmets to work for insurance reasons. Shut up. Oh. How can you read a whole primer that Anthony wrote that's 14 pages long <laughs> or the entirety of Magic's rules text and remember how to apply that plus all the decisions you have to make in a game? Impossible. Literally Not impossible. Not going to happen. This is it possible? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Especially the primer that I'd be writing. I swear, like the last one we wrote, there was a possibilities matrix in there. Yeah, see, I just, nope, doesn't work. Anthony has written primers that he has given to very, very competent and good magic players, and they have kindly handed it back to him and go, no, I don't want to play this deck anymore. (laughs) That is absolutely true. They've been like, I thought this deck was much easier. (laughs) Yes. So keep trying to find what works best for you. Take note of it and try it again the same way. I'm giving this as a concrete example of a fully formed, documented idea of how someone could learn. At some point, you'll get to the point where reading the card gives you the connection between prior cards that have similar text, as we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. and knowing how to apply that. So I love this. I love this. Ashley, I love this so much. I'm so glad. So give yourself grace. Be patient with yourself and others. Meet people where they are and help them along the way. I think that there are points where people do need to give themselves give themselves grace. I think mm-hmm. there are situations where people need to give themselves grace. I think there are situations where people need to give themselves fucking less grace. Sure. But I think you should you should always err on the side with others of giving others a little extra grace, you know? Definitely. And I think that part of part of meeting people where they are is understanding that if you're working with somebody, you're doing some stuff with them, can I always I always think it's right to be like just like one step in front of where they are. So they have to kind of do some of the tough mental work to get to where you are. And then you take a step back and then they keep doing that. Just help them, but always just like be one step. So they're always, so they're always moving forward. So they get that nice momentum. And I think that like, I, I, I really, I really do that. I think that the proximal development, mm-hmm. the proximity is necessary because if you are three levels above the person you're teaching and you're 
talking three levels above where they're teaching. They're just none of it's going to reach them. But I think that if you are existing solely where they are, then you'll be reaching them, but they're not going to develop any at all, which is why people who just you'll notice that there are some very good magic players that will play casual commander with much worse players and they'll just play down to their play down to the table. And you notice that it doesn't matter how how much they play together, but the people that are worse at the game never get better or move towards the better player in that group because that player is playing down to them so much. Mm-hmm. The proximal development means that there needs it needs to be proximal, not identical. You do not teach a child pronunciation by mispronouncing things the way the child does. Right. You teach a child pronunciation by talking with that child and pronouncing the thing correctly. Well, that's why I all... want to baby talk and talk about the necklace mm-hmm. with your kid because then your kid will will just stay saying necklace forever. Mm-hmm. You want to be proximal, near, but not on top of. You don't want mm-hmm. to be in the same spot. You want to be kind of just like one step or two back so that they have to come towards you. And then you take another step back kind of deal. Well, and that's why that's why those steps are adjustable and need to go in Absolutely. different order sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So you aren't you aren't just staying showing them how to do every single thing every time, right? But if somebody's Useless. struggling, yeah. it, if somebody's struggling getting frustrated, step in and help, explain it, and then do it again and let them go on their own once you've shown them how again, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to apply a lot with magic because there's a million cards in magic, you know? There's a bunch of different interactions that can happen. Eventually, mm-hmm. those things will solidify and become actual memory that you can access but until then we'll take going back and forth in those steps towards proximal development before you can get there you know and it takes a lot of social and emotional intelligence to adjust to the people around you and see how can we best help how can we how can we talk about these things in a way that's actually sticking with your brain you know yeah construct i agree Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just like uh, this reminds me of I think it was I think it was Liz Ritchie is the author on this. And it's something that I talked about at work was the concept of like confrustion, confrustion and erroneous mm. learning examples and prompted self-explanation. And the idea behind this, and it's one that I believe in firmly, is that frustration is frustration on the part of the learner is OK. It's good. It's actively good. It applies that dialectic, that dialectical model where there is they know what they want they know what they are doing and they know that they're not the same thing so they want to pull themselves towards what their goal is they want to move forward and a small amount mm-hmm. of frustration is i beneficial to them it's very yeah. beneficial because yeah. if their frustration wasn't there then what you run into is contentedness and contentedness is the enemy of progress right and the most the most important thing about confrustion, though, is not enough for people to just be frustrated. It's not enough for people just to feel frustrated. What you need the frustrated party to do is you need to prompt them into self-explanation. And that is the big key of confrustion is I have done this with a bunch of people. Actually, I've done this with you before mm-hmm. is when you seem mixed up or confused or frustrated about something. I'll say, explain what you're thinking. Talk mm-hmm. me through your thought process. Tell me what we're just what, what, what. Tell me what's what the things that are go, are going on in your head right now that are leading to this. Mm-hmm. Why this? Why? 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 And it's annoying as fuck. And I'm the one doing it. I can't imagine how fucking annoying it is for everyone else. 
but the the prompted self-explanation is the most important key because you take advantage of that frustration as a growth opportunity that way rather Mm -hmm. if you just let somebody wallow in their frustration they're not going to do the thing Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's this learning it's this learning model that like frustration that what they call confrustion or confusion and frustration right mm-hmm. it they the, the paper i'm talking about is specifically called i checked it confrustion and learning from erroneous examples colon does type of prompted self-explanation making mm-hmm. and the important part of this is learning from the erroneous examples or just like wild just incorrect out there examples and then the self-expression to do something tell somebody something weird about tide hollow color versus deep cavern bat, and then tell them to explain the differences to you. Mm-hmm. And then when they squirm and are confused and frustrated, mm-hmm. make them explain the differences to you anyway. It's really fucking annoying. <laughs> but it's so it's so it's so effective, and and the 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 confrustion dialectic that ex- uh, exists there is a beautiful example of zones of proximal development, right? Because Mm -hmm. you are saying, I know this, you don't know this. I'm going to get you to say the thing. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tough, but you're going to slog your way through it and you're going to get there. And then when they don't get it right away, you come in, give them a little bit of a hint, explain some stuff, repeat the question, talk them through the first couple steps of what's going on, hand it back to them. Mm -hmm. I do do like your point about like, the frustration aspect, because like you, you see people get frustrated or we use the we use the word tilted as magic players and we have a whole episode about, you know, getting tilted or whatnot. But you can see some players who get frustrated and they're just frustrated because I'm not able to do this thing and I just want to do this thing. And then there are people who get frustrated when they play magic and they're just like, I can't do the thing, but I want to get there. How do I get there? I need to ask these questions. You're still frustrated, but you're not just like, oh, I hate it. I quit. You're just like, oh, I hate it. I need to figure it out. What do I need to do to get to that? You know, yeah. the, the frustration is good in certain aspects. If you're just frustrating because you're upset and don't want to work on it, that's bad. But if you're frustrated because you want to work on it and it's it's tough to get there, but you still want to get there, get as frustrated as you want. You know, it means you care enough to keep doing it and keep mm-hmm. getting frustrated. You know, we keep getting annoyed by Anthony when we try to learn magic because we really want to fucking learn how to play magic well. And we do it with everybody we know within our community. You Mm -hmm. know, it might be annoying. It might be frustrating. It might be really tough, but we all want to get to a point and get better. There's there's means to an end. You want to do it because you love it, not just like, ah, it doesn't work, man, and just run away. And sometimes I'm frustrated because I can't words what my frustration is. Like sometimes I I literally can't think of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'm frustrated. It might be about this particular thing, but I can't tell you how I got to the thing because now I'm just frustrated, you know? So I don't know. It's all a balance, I guess, of finding yeah. finding the way to address your frustration, give yourself grace, and also use the frustration as a tool to help you learn the thing that you need to learn. Hallelujah. I trust the believe process. that a little bit of self-loathing is required for progress you need to i mean hate, yeah you need, you need to hate where you are a little bit to want to be somewhere else right yes no no i mean like honestly like it's, it's that's what caused I, me to move to kentucky so you know yeah. and here i am that i mean FBI same raid, girl right? come on but it's the same thing in magic too like i i i got frustrated from just getting my ass kicked by all the good players here 
and <laughs> I didn't know how to like get there. But you know, it's just I, I trusted the process, ask questions, and it's still frustrating. But for some fucking reason, I keep coming back because I want to just keep bettering myself. You know, Ashley, I thought you moved to Kentucky because everyone else in the community, end quote, moved to the astral <laughs> realm, but you didn't because you didn't like fruit punch. Yeah, that was it. Was that a cult joke? Come yes, on. that's the one. All right. Guessing game. Time for a guessing game. Mm-hmm. We're going like to do guessing. a guessing game. We're gonna, I like games. We like guessing. Spin the wheel of disappointment. Yada, yada, yada. But first, I would like to explain what the guessing game is tonight. Hell yes. We've had a lot of information. We've talked about a lot of stuff. A lot of reading. A lot of sharks eating. All that stuff. <laughs> Russian, <laughs> Russian eggs and dolls and whatnot. But tonight's guessing game pertains to the episode... And we have a card in our brains, and our co-host has yes or no question. And the guessing game is cards you thought you knew exactly what they did until you played them in a game of Magic the Gathering. I've got a card in mind. Ashley, what about you? I've got a card. I have a card. Spin the wheel of disappointment. Can we see the wheel? Version 283 of it. Yeah, <laughs> they've done some updates. Oh, look at that. The disappointment himself. It's Kyle. Yes. So this card is legal and standard and it is played in pretty, I'd say all the formats it's legal in. And it's the creature type is the favorite of myself and a person we've had on this podcast before. Is it a Merfolk? It is. Is it Tashana's Tidebinder? It is. I thought I knew exactly what that fucking card did. And then I played it and I go, wait, what? It does, huh? Wait, it does this, right? No, 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 it does that, right? What's, what, what, what does Stifle do again? <laughs> What's an activated ability? What's a triggered ability? Yeah, Tashana's Tidebinder just, the card's really good. I've since learned what it does, but the first time I played it, I'm just like, there's so many words on here. I think I know what this does, but nope, I was wrong. The specific reason I was afraid to play Esper in Standard. Because I was afraid I wouldn't remember the difference between triggered abilities and activated abilities. Well, the good news is you don't have to with that one. It does the same thing regardless of which one it is. Well, that, yeah, but like, I I just figured it'd be a whole thing. I mean, it's just, I think, I think that what makes that card so confusing is, is that right there. You kind of second guess yourself or just like, it only does this one thing, right? No, it does both. It does both. Like that that card has made me forget so many things. The triggered abilities are easy to remember. They all say when or whenever, and activated abilities always have cost colon effect. Mm-hmm. So That's you know if it has cost colon effect, it's an activated ability. You know if it has whenever something something do something, it's a triggered ability. If it's an activated ability that produces mana and doesn't have a target, it's a mana ability. So Deathrite Shaman actually does not have a mana ability. You're right. Colon. No, it has a target. It has cost, colon, effect. It has three activated abilities. A mana ability is a subset of activated ability. Oh, okay. It's the it's the smaller doll inside of the first doll. Yeah. Spinning the wheel. Let's see who's going next. Magic is hard. Anthony, what cryptic hint are you going to tell us and add 15 more minutes to the episode? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I think it's that subtlety. this one is... I actually don't think that this one is incredibly difficult. I really, really don't. Okay, sure. Okay. I will tell you 
that this creature is a creature. What? I will tell you that this creature is red, and I will tell you that I learned exactly what happened when I cast it with no other creatures in play. So when you cast it with no other creatures in play Mm -hmm. that you control? No other creatures in play, period. Just period. It was an empty board, and I played it on an empty board, and I learned that lesson real quick. Oh, Flame Tongue Kavu. That is correct. Yeah, I got him. Because it it needs a target. Yeah, four mana, four two, that when it enters the battlefield, it deals four damage to target creature. You have to choose a target. You gotta do it. it's the only creature on the board, it has to target itself. So he comes in and then flame tongues himself to death. Oh, no. That's a really good one. I love that. That What about you, Ashley? You're up next. Mine will probably be easy. There's a very specific reason I picked it. Okay. He is an emo boy. He is not what he appears. He's an emo boy and he's not what he appears. Uh Uh-huh. Is it a planeswalker? No. Creature? Mm-hmm. Is, he, is it a black creature? Is it blue? a red creature? Red? I said red, Kyle said blue. Okay, red. Red is correct. Okay, it's red. Yeah, okay. I think it's Godric, cloaked whatever. Yes. <laughs> because he comes in and he's actually secretly a 4-4, not a 3-3 a lot of the time. And it's that a, flies. It's as a, long as two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn. Yeah, he counts. He counts, and he just some, yep. some, his power, toughness, and creature type are just different than what's printed on the card, and it mm-hmm. requires yep. you keeping track of it. That mm-hmm. is a good example of a card that's just something that you didn't think it was. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and it it was a good example too of the what I was trying to explain earlier with saying one of the big triggers for Godric if he's already on the battlefield is Charming Scoundrel. Charming mm. Scoundrel and a treasure trigger it. Charming Scoundrel and the Wicked Roll do also, right? So there are two instances of that that make Godric the dragon. So I kept having in my head, oh, I've got to play Godric and this, but I don't. I can play Godric and a Phoenix chick, and it still does the same thing. So then I'd have two flyers in play. And that was the thing that I missed because I kept applying it as, oh, this thing equals this, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So Mm -hmm. it was good on multiple levels. It's also just a fun card. Yeah, he is kind of an emo boy. He that is. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he 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 looks like he he's a night manager at Hot Topic. Yes, very much so. And he has his hand held out, like "Come with me." Mm, come with me. In this me. I'll weird, show you, creepy I'll sh- way. <laughs> I'll show you the Funko Pops. Come yeah. with me. <laughs> Not to throw shade at emo boys. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying. The bitch, I'm me. an emo boy. <laughs> come with I know me. exactly. I'll show you the between the buried and me T-shirts. <laughs> Yes, here's the Between the Barry and Me t-shirts, and then when everybody leaves, I'll show you the My Chemical Romance ones, the ones you actually came in here for. Between the Barry and Me is emo. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. It's not. Between the Barry and Me is just an emo band. It's fucking prog metal. Nah. Nah, dog. <laughs> Dillinger Escape Plan, also emo. I don't know these bands well enough to have... Any kind of they are not here, emo so. bands. Trust me. <laughs> What's the one that was an emo band then turned into a pop band? All of them. Bring me the horizon. Oh yeah, mm. they they went from deathcore to screamo to metal to electronic and then to like whatever the fuck they're doing now. I just don't know. Pop they've music. been like just straight up pop music. They've been every fucking genre. It's weird. It, I, I, I still just, enjoy them. I still think Bring Me the Horizon secretly. If you were to listen to Bring Me the Horizon. <laughs> you will know what will be popular in the hardcore scene in two years. Yes, correct. 
you if you want to know what's going to be popular in hardcore music what's going to be a popular trend in hardcore music in two years just listen to bring me the horizon and you'll know because mm-hmm. two years later they're just consistently two years ahead of the curve i, I mean i think their music's terrible like just to be clear <laughs> i don't like it look look like Broken side walked so like emo rap could run. Like it's the same yes, thing. I don't th- I don't think they're good at all, but they they were ahead of their time. <laughs> they were so ahead of their time. It's gotten to the point where like when I play my suggested station on Apple Music, like I don't want to pick, just Apple Music, you pick for me. Just plays emo rap. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like, what if we did some Riley? Okay. Now we're gonna do some Xavier Main. Now we're gonna do some Chase Atlantic. Now mm-hmm. we're gonna do some little peep. Tracy, Juice World, and I'm just like, oh, okay, so we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met one of those people that you're just like, you don't want to say it, but you kind of feel like it's the case? Like, where somebody, like, you're like, I think that you only listen to white rappers. <laughs> but if you ever find somebody like this, have I got something for you to say? You just tell them, no, that's not true. You also like Fitty. Percent of logic. Oh, Oh, oh my. <laughs> that one got me. <laughs> oh. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like and subscribe. It helps us out a ton and makes it easier for other players like you to hear what we have to say. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Peanut.fm, and iHeartRadio. One of those was not real, but we'll never tell. It was Peanut, wasn't it? Oh, shut the fuck up.